everyone. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to Medically Speaking in the Morning. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm in the ever popular Barbara Davitt slot. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm on Queen's territory here. So hopefully Barbara's listening. So shout out to her. So we um, use this opportunity um, the second Friday morning of every month to highlight topics that are given to us by our Spirit of Women Network. And so this one is pretty um, to the point for this month being October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And the topic that we had that was given to us by Spirit was called It's All Relative. And so who we have with us today to talk about a little bit about your family history and genetics is Yvonne Ruddystein, who's an APRN with us with the Polakoff Breast Care out in Southbury and part of our breast and oncology practice. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming so much. You've been with us before. We've talked about genetics before, and I think it's really important to talk about what we're doing um, at St. Mary's Hospital and within the Franklin Medical Group and the resources available to our community. So we're saying it's all relative. So the little blurb here is our health care risk can be inherited through family members, and there's a lot of physical characteristics such as our eye color. Kind of a lot of times our physique, mm-hmm. you know, being tall or being short um, and certain diseases, which are also part of what we inherit within our, our family history. So, you know, we talked a little bit the other day, you and I were talking about, you know, when someone goes to their physician, whether it be a primary care physician, their GYN, the breast surgeons themselves, a lot of what's happening in those routine questions on family history are so important. So they're general questions to begin with. A lot of them talking about heart disease and and uh, diabetes and your cancers, which come into play. But sometimes we don't know, right? Sometimes when, when we're asked these questions, we don't know our whole history. Correct. Um, I, I always say to patients that anything you know is is a bonus. I mean, how I start out is, do you have a family history of cancer? And that's just at the initial visit. And some people know more than others. And some families like to share and other families don't like to share. Um, hmm. If someone is interested enough in pursuing that, I'll have them after the visit Go home, make a few calls, send a few emails, go on Facebook and, and ask, hey, I was just I was just at the doctor's office. They asked me about my family history. Can you tell me anything more about, you know, aunt so-and-so's cancer or uncle, you know, uncle so-and-so's history? A lot of times they'll call back saying, I just found out a whole bunch of information that I had no idea about. So we at St. Mary's Hospital have really put a lot of effort into those strong family histories at our primary care physician level. We created a a new intake form so that it triggers certain things that maybe someone would be more at risk for other diseases than other, and we are particularly looking at the cancer risk. So for yourself, we've really gotten you heavily involved in that, and we have two PAs in the other breast surgeon's offices that also assist with genetics. But for yourself, let's talk a little bit about you, and I don't want to lose sight of where your talent comes from and what you needed to do to do the genetic training that you have. So let's talk a little bit about genetic training and what that means. Um, Well, to start, I'm an APRN, which means I have a master's degree in nursing. 
Once I finished school and was practicing for a while, I started to work for Dr. Polakoff at Polakoff Breast Care. And we started offering um, the ability to do genetic testing in about 2006. We thought that this was the perfect um, um, role for an APRN. Um, and what I did was I, I started taking classes and doing continuing education regarding genetics mm -hmm. and getting the family history and what are you looking for. And that all culminated in a course at um, the City of Hope, which is a hospital in California. And they are leaders in genetics training. And their mission is to train providers in how to obtain a family history and analyze it and then decide what genetic testing is needed and then provide the counseling that goes along with the testing. So their mission is to train people in how to do that. And it's so important. The counseling is a huge a huge piece in this. That's, to me, the testing is not valuable if you don't have the counseling with it. It's so important. And, you know, we talked a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit more in a bit about some of the things that are out there on the market that people see and not knowing what to do with that information and how important it is to have that person because if you have this information what are you going to do with that that seems to be the the and that's why some people don't want to know correct they're, they're afraid because then what are they going to do with it they have to then make a decision about what okay. they do some people decide they don't want genetic testing but i think that decision is reasonable after mm -hmm. you've been through the counseling process and you know what we're looking for why we're looking for it and the implications of the results and some people decide after that process it isn't something i want to know right. and i like to say that if every single person I did genetic counseling with went on to do genetic testing, I'm not fully doing my job because I'm not I'm not giving them all the information they need. Some people that information leads to the conclusion that they do not want to do the genetic testing, and that is okay. And it is okay because it is a personal decision. Absolutely. You know, so I do too want to be. I would be remiss if I didn't invite callers. They can definitely call in 203-757-1320 if you have a question on genetic testing. So Yvonne, you you. You practice out of our um, office in Southbury within Polakoff Breast Care, which is part of the Franklin Medical Group with Dr. Polakoff, Dr. Ellen Polakoff, one of our breast surgeons who's been with us for a very long time and very, very lucky to have her. She's our assistant chief of staff and soon to be incoming chief of staff at the hospital. Really exciting to have a woman in that role. So you function out of Southbury and we have two PAs that are part of the team and they are stationed at the other breast surgeon's offices within Franklin Medical. Right? We have Lisa McGilligat. Mm -hmm. She's in Southbury at Dr. Sealings and we have Deanna Lacurto with Dr. Sukin out in Prospect and soon to be also in our new East Main Street location. We'll make sure I give her a plug. She's excited because that's going to give her a second location. So it's important because you guys also meet as a team and talk about things. I know that you look at things and talk about things and best practices. And it's important to have that conversation. You, I'm sure you are a mentor to them. We, we all ask each other questions. Um, sometimes there'll be a case uh, that, that we just want some feedback on. So yeah, it's very great. easy to pick up the phone or email and say, hey, what do you think about this? Right. That's awesome. So let's 
take someone through the steps of how a patient is identified to you. Let's let's go down that road because I think it's really important because I think people may be sitting out there in the audience saying, well, how do I even go about this? Mm-hmm. So do they have to be someone that's now been referred to Dr. Polakoff or, or one of our breast surgeons with a breast cancer or can it come through another avenue because we have our primary care physicians uh, working on it? It can be anyone at risk, and I I think of there being three categories of people. One is a person who is referred to us for a new diagnosis of breast cancer, and they're obviously being referred to Dr. Don't mind the background music. (laughs) Um, It's my mom. Um, They're being referred to the breast surgeon because there's um, a worry about cancer breast cancer and unfortunately there's a new diagnosis Mm -hmm. there. So if they meet certain criteria, we move on with genetic testing. Um, The second group of people I feel like I test are well women who may have a breast issue, may not have a breast issue, but they have a family history of breast cancer, and they're worried about their risk. Those people can be identified anywhere, whether it's at their primary care office, mm-hmm. their GYN office, a gastroenterologist office, mm-hmm. if they provide the family history that, that sets off the red flags, that's another reason uh, why genetic testing can be done. And then the third group of people are people who have a history of breast cancer, if you're talking about being at the breast surgeon's office, or even colon cancer, if you're at the gastroenterologist's mm-hmm. office. And between your personal history of cancer, plus or minus any additional family history of breast cancer, maybe genetic testing wasn't available when you were diagnosed 10 years ago. Uh, Maybe you declined it five years ago because you didn't want to go there. But now you have grandchildren and you're becoming much more Mm -hmm. interested in in the possibility of an inheritance Mm -hmm. to them. So those are the three classes of people I feel like I I test in. And you can be identified anywhere, really. So... Once someone is referred to you, let's let's because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Let's let's talk about that and what typically happens. So someone comes in, and you do a, a the questionnaire has been done ahead of time, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what criteria does someone have before they're referred to you with genetic testing when we're talking breast? So breast would be a personal or family history of breast cancer under the age of fifty. There are certain tumor characteristics that make you more at risk of carrying a genetic mutation, and that would be bilateral breast cancer, meaning breast cancer of both breasts, either at the same time or separate times, or two separate tumors in the same breast, again, either at the same time or at different times. Um, or a triple negative tumor, and that's looking at the tumor for whether um, the estrogen progesterone receptors and something called HER2 is either positive or negative. If all three of those things are negative, there's a higher likelihood of there being a genetic mutation. Um, And then a combination of family history that can involve additional breast cancers, either under age 50 or at any age, if there's more than two family members with breast cancer, ovarian cancer at any age, pancreatic cancer at any Mm. age, and aggressive prostate cancer, and sometimes melanoma. 
See, that's interesting because I think when women think about their risk factor for breast cancer, the first thing they're thinking, well, nobody in my family really has breast cancer, but they're not looking at those other connections, which a lot of times may be part of the father's history or could be the mother's father or the or the mother's you know, cousin or whatever in that regard. I would be remiss if I did not make it very clear that this is not history only from the mother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. So we inherit our genes from some from our mother and some from our father. So you're equally as likely to inherit a mutation if your mom carries it as if your dad carries it. So you said an aggressive prostate cancer. That's really interesting to me. How would that how would that be connected, and what, is, what does that mean? Well, aggressive prostate cancer, so guidelines uh, say that a, a prostate cancer that has a Gleason score greater than 7, and okay. I don't know a ton about prostate cancer, yeah. but it's scored, uh, and a Gleason score greater than 7 uh, is considered to be aggressive. Mm. And the reason why that ties in is because people with certain genetic mutations, and I'll use BRCA mutations as an example, men who have BRCA2 mutations have a higher risk of prostate cancer and aggressive prostate cancer. So they would get that gene from their mother. Or their father. Or their father. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. And so that could carry over to the daughter. Absolutely. To their daughter. Or the son. Or the son. Mm -hmm. See, you just, you don't you don't realize the connection. You know, women really, I think, think very concretely, well, my mom didn't have breast cancer, my grandmother didn't, but her, my grandmother's sister had it. Mm -hmm. So it's really remiss. And then I had a, you know, I had an uncle on my dad's side that had prostate cancer, but I don't think people put that Connected. together, and that's why it's so important to really look at those connections. And you got, you have, through... Um, all the testing, you you have the ability to say what's appropriate and what's not based on these score sheets, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go back to the intake questionnaire. Mm-hmm. The more detail you have about your family history and no amount of cancer or no no cancer is too insignificant to mention even if it's a paternal great aunt your your grandmother's sister Mm. Um, because if we screen that questionnaire and find that there's enough uh, information there that might predict there could be a genetic mutation and you're a candidate for genetic testing, then we go sort of to the second phase, which is a special genetic counseling visit where I sit down and do something called a pedigree. And we go over every single relative on both sides of the family. So your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents, your aunts and uncles on both sides of the family, your grandparents, your cousins, and sometimes I even bring in the great aunts and uncles into that. That's really interesting. And we identify cancers in any of those individuals. So we have to take a quick break. This is really an intense subject for a half an hour, but we're going to give it our best shot. We will be right back. Hi everyone, Robin Sills from from St. Mary's Hospital. I almost said General Hospital. Could you take it? <laughs> Could you take it? Thank God it's Friday. And you know why? Because I am such a fan of General Hospital. I am definitely a groupie at General Hospital. I did almost just say General Hospital. So much character. Oh, oh my God, Sonny, are you kidding me? Been watching General Hospital since I was 
Oh, I don't even want to date myself. Years. Isn't that so funny? So, Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, welcome to Medically Speaking. Oh, my gosh. Good thing it's Friday. Good thing it's Friday. We are here tonight, uh, today on a very important topic. We are talking about, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so we are talking about genetics. And we have with us um, one of our genetic experts at St. Mary's Hospital, Yvonne Ruddy-Stein, who's an APRN with the Polakoff Breast Care out in Southbury. She's one of a team of our genetic experts, but she um, actually leads our little team, and she does a phenomenal job. And we've been talking about what happens when a woman comes in to to her office, or sometimes a man, especially if they've been identified by a gastroenterologist or a primary care physician, that maybe they need some workup genetically based on questionnaires. We've been talking about what happens and what are what are some of the directions that she takes with someone once they've been identified. So let's talk a little bit about someone that's been tested. Because the time, a half hour goes so quickly. So I want to make sure that we, we try to hit as much as we can. So someone that's been tested, that comes back to you. What do those results look like when someone, what are the options? So negative and positive. And I know there's a gray area mm-hmm. in between. But what happens with that positive case? What happens with that person that is positive? What do you do? So it depends on the gene, and mostly uh, we do large gene panels that cover many different um, cancer susceptibility um, genes. Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, I mentioned prostate, pancreatic cancer, but also colon and uterine cancers. So depending on the gene tells us which risks for cancer are elevated and how high that risk is. Mm -hmm. And depending on how high the risk is, guides our management. Some mutations give you a risk of cancer high enough that you could consider preventative surgery, or in some cases, preventative medication. In some cases, your risk warrants increased surveillance. So when it comes to breast cancer, not only a mammogram, uh, an ultrasound, but maybe a breast MRI alternating with the mammogram and the ultrasound. And that's knowing you're at high risk, but but detecting early if something's going to come you know it's such a difficult road to take i have two nieces who um their mom they're not related to me by blood they're my husband's nieces and the mom is is not related this is his brother's wife but the the two nieces were the mom carried the BRCA gene and both the mom the sister the grandmother so they chose two very different courses one has chose high surveillance, and the other one has chosen the path of prophylactic surgery. Um, and they're both living their lives well with the decisions they made. So my point is, it's such an individual decision. Oh, absolutely. And there is no wrong decision. And that's what I was just going to say. Neither is wrong. Both are acceptable. So some women are very eager for prophylactic surgery, and other women are, don't have any interest in that. But the good news is that we have ways to detect early <laughs> so that you can do that increased surveillance and be reasonably confident that if a cancer shows up, it's going to be detected early. And you can take care of it because that's the key is detecting breast cancer early enough, we can treat it and cure it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think women that just put those blinders on and don't want to know that that's just not, it's not helpful to themselves, their families. 
and their children and their grandchildren, as you were saying earlier. Yeah, everyone's individual. So it's not my job to tell someone they have to have genetic testing. My job is to give them the information they need to make a decision. And sometimes after they get through the genetic counseling session, they say, oh, this this is definitely something I want to know. Occasionally they say it's something they don't want to know. And my job when the results come back, if positive, is not to say you need to do this. Again, I present the options. I give them evidence uh, about how well these things work. And then we, together with whatever other professionals need to be involved, whether it's a breast surgeon or a GYN, we all come up with a, a plan and it's individual for every That's single huge. person. It's an individualized treatment plan tailored to meet their need, yeah. where they're at. One size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. All women are different. When you identify a woman, that she's at risk. Say she comes into you and um, she's got this strong family history, but she doesn't have cancer herself yet. But she comes in with this strong risk. You you do do testing on her. Now, what does she do with that information with her daughter, her, her anyone else in her family that's that's you know she's attached to? So it depends if her testing is positive versus her testing is negative. If it's positive, then children, male and female, mm-hmm. of any mutation carrier have a 50-50 chance of inheriting that mutation. You don't test someone, meaning a child, until they're ready to start screening. So depending on the cancer risk um, drives how old the person should be when they consider testing. So for example, normally you don't start testing for breast cancer uh, susceptibility gene mutations until around the age of 25 because in general that's the earliest that you would start Screening. screening there are exceptions like if there's a family history of cancer that's younger um, if the person comes in and they're negative then the children can't inherit a mutation from that person say it's the mother then I quickly look at the husband's family history because even though the mother doesn't carry the mutation if there's a strong family history on the father's side I can't rule out a mutation on that side of the family. Now you talked about screening so we're all taught that we start baseline mammograms between the ages of 35 and 40 most women 40 Mm -hmm. with your first mammogram then every two years thereafter till you're 50 then you should get them done yearly that was the I think that's still the, the line of thinking. Sometimes they're doing them every other year now after the age of 50 based on their insurance. But basically, that's a routine. So now, once you've identified someone, you said we start screening them potentially at 25 for those high risk. Yeah, that's in the case of a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. You can start MRIs at 25, and then that's yearly. And then you start mammograms with an ultrasound if your breast tissue is dense at 30. Because the breast tissue will be a little bit less dense the older you get. Correct. Because we we walk out of those mammograms, we know at times with that, as, as Nancy Capella calls them, her happy grams, because you walk out thinking everything is fine but you have this dense breast tissue now we do utilize ultrasound but with the 3d mammography we have a little bit better ability correct with screening we're finding i was just talking to dr polakoff the other day that when i started 12 years ago 
the mammograms were analog and mm. we didn't know what we didn't know that's what we were using to you know to look at these films and then a couple years later they came out with digital mammograms and it was like night and day right. now that we have the 3D mam- digital mammograms with the tomo synthesis it's even better than a plain digital in some cases so the technology keeps getting better and better i think women are so afraid you know johnny's throwing up we gotta cut soon but this is really really good information so i want to get a little bit in but it's so important for women to know that i think they're afraid with the newer technology the risk of the radiation which we really try to emphasize that because we're not doing as many callbacks for these women because we couldn't see things before now we can utilize the one image and actually kind of manipulate and manipulate it you know right there and then so we don't have to call them back for additional imaging mm-hmm. we're, we're we're seeing that with the with the 3d and the tomograms and that there are many less callbacks and we're reducing you know that then that in turn reducing the amount of radiation exactly because they're not and coming back so much i tell women everything is a risk benefit ratio right. so if you know that yes there's a small amount of radiation you're getting every year with your mammogram um, and but you have to balance that with your your risk of getting cancer and and what is what is what is your uh, perception of the risk versus the benefit of getting that mammogram every year well we have a ton of information we just threw out to everybody and I'm going to promise everybody out there if this is a topic you're definitely interested in um, please let me know you can email me at robin.sills at stmh.org and uh, we can definitely bring back Yvonne to do it and maybe one of our breast surgeons too to talk a little bit more about genetics and what we're doing and what we're seeing because I think it's so important we started before we came on the year we talked a little bit about those kits out there so we're not going to get into the kits that are out there maybe for a future show we can talk a little bit because Johnny really wants to do 23andMe, but we'll <laughs> see if we can talk him out of that. So I want to thank you so much for coming again. This was Yvonne Reddy-Stein. She is part of the Franklin Medical Group and part of Polikoff Breast Care, and they can be reached at 203-262-2300 um, out in our Southbury location. You can find both of them on our website stmh.org and click on the Franklin Medical Group tab at the top and um, you can learn more. We also have this available on podcast soon, soon as Johnny does my tape for me. <laughs> we um, have a program next week coming up. It is sold out. I apologize. It's our, our Generate Health event. Um, we are going to be at the Ponto Landolfo Club, and we are very excited to have a full panel. And Dr. Sealing is going to be part of that. Dr. Azim is going to be part of that, our new cardiologist. And we're going to have Dr. Mariani, who's an orthopedic surgeon, as well as Dr. Judith Gorlick. So we'll have a full panel. We're excited. So more, more on that. We will put that information out there on what they do. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Again, this is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Hospital, exceptional care, every patient, every day. Have a great weekend.